0: Welcome to our Moving Forward with SDI podcast, featuring the founder and CEO of LEAD Inclusion, Leanne Young. She is an educator, professor, author, and international consultant, and we are so fortunate to have her joining us today. My name is Laura Lee Lake. I am the SDI lead for Central Rivers AEA, as well as special education consultant and director of special education. I'm here with my colleague,
1: Kelly, I'm Kelly Ward, a literacy consultant with Central Rivers AEA, utilizing my experience as a special ed consultant and coach to advocate for equitable access for all children. So our question for today is, what is SDI? In this session, we will define SDI or specially designed instruction and what needs to be in place to ensure all students are successful, including when SDI occurs, who is responsible and what it can look like. If you're following along on the SDI framework, link in the show notes. We are talking about page two, SDI in an MTSS framework, and looking at the triangle with the SDI running throughout all the tiers. We're also making connections to Leanne's book, Your Students, My Students, Our Students, and you'll find chapter three is all about leveraging the strengths of all educators. So, Leanne,
0: we're going to get started just thinking about, um, in Iowa, we're really working to clarify what we mean when we're talking about SDI or specially designed instruction. Often we think SDI only includes the instruction our students receive from a special education teacher and usually in a setting outside of the general education classroom. The Iowa SDI framework is truly trying to promote and support a broader view of SDI Which would include any supports or services a student needs to access or be successful throughout their day in general education setting along with their explicit instruction. Would you share with us how this change in thinking about SDI is important for our students?
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me and and just delighted to be here to talk about um, specially designed instruction and the collaborative efforts that are really necessary to make that happen uh, in an effective way. Um, really inclusive efforts and supporting all students is so much more than delivering an intervention in a separate classroom by a special educator. A lot of times, uh, you know, I think people think that that's that's the only thing that counts because special educator is the only person qualified and they've got some special skills and special, uh, you know, magic hands almost that if we send the student there, something magic is going to happen. And that's just not the way it works. It it really doesn't work unless there is a collaborative effort to both design uh, interventions, to design instruction, and to deliver those. If we think about behavior, behavior is a a good example of this. It applies to academics, but when we think about it with behavior, it, it makes it really clear. So let's imagine you have a student. Uh, in a classroom, and that student is having, you know, know, some really difficulty, a lot of difficulty with dysregulation. We often talk about um, challenging behaviors, but, but really this is a dysregulation difficulty. And so it really has to be addressed more deeply than just how do we change the behavior. And so the complexities of that do often require specially designed instruction in order to be able to support regulation and and a change in behavior so you may need a special educator to help design that instruction you may not but you you know any given uh, adult may need support for for how to handle that but if we send that student to a special education classroom for some sort of regulation intervention that's not going to work what we have to have is specially designed intervention or instruction that is aimed at with an evidence-based practice to um, support regulation, but this isn't gonna work unless everybody in all of the contexts implement it. And I think we can see that really well with behavior, but the same is true with, with everything that we're talking about, with academics, with any given skill that a student or understanding that a student is needing to gain. It really, it takes all of us to design and implement instruction.
1: So just to follow up, when we think of what you just said and that accessing across the day, we often hear as students get older, the middle school and high school, they can't do it because the gaps are too wide. So they they need to be in a separate class or a separate setting because uh, they just can't access it because those gaps are too wide. So when you think of those barriers in general education, how do you see that addressed as students move into middle school and high school?
2: Well, first I wanna talk a little bit about how it's commonly addressed. We see a student's really struggling. They're super behind. Um, Let's say they're really behind with writing. And so the student gets this really challenging work a writing assignment in social studies or language arts or wherever, and they're really struggling to be able to do this. They're really behind. And instead of delivering um, an evidence-based Based intervention or or having specially designed instruction, what often happens starting in middle school and certainly in high school is students are sent to a resource room. And so we have this resource room time where we send students and the challenging work and they go get help with their homework or help with their assignments. And I you know I think this is evident in your chart and in your document that that's not specially designed instruction. That's homework help. that's assignment help. And truly, the best person to help a student with assignment, an assignment is the person who assigned it. That's, you know, that's really a waste of the precious resources we have in, in our specialists to have them spending time, you know, helping kids with homework. So that's not, that's not really the best approach. Uh, there are a couple of things that, that we can do when the gap is wider. And one of those is to change the question we're asking. So a lot of times we're we're deciding, should a student be in this class, should a student not be in that class? The gap is so wide. How are they going to participate? And so the question we ask as um, IEP teams or or whatever states call those IEP teams is, can the student meet grade level expectation or is the gap too wide? And we say, you know, we often say the gap's too wide. They need to be in a special education classroom or a different kind of classroom. And the question we should be asking is: Can the student gain valuable learning in this class? And mm-hmm. and then we design whatever we need to do to make to maximize that. Um, you know, I, I can remember when my older child was in middle school, and uh, he has—I don't want to say had—because he's got such metacognitive skills to to mediate it. But his dyslexia was really affecting his performance in elementary school and then on into middle school. And he wanted to take Mandarin. And I think a lot of IEP teams and teachers would have tried to talk him out of that because there's no way he could have met grade level expectations. And I'm all, you know, we should all have really high expectations for kids. But I think our whole team would have recognized that his meeting grade level expectations at that time that year would have been um, maybe an unreasonable expectation but I didn't even do any advocating here. It was his team of teachers. Nobody had to advocate. They all immediately said, yeah, he should be in that class. There's valuable learning um, to be had. And and if we all think about any languages or beginnings of understanding languages that are not our first language, we all know that having words, having phrases, having an understanding of culture is is wonderful. And it, it is valuable learning, whether or not you know, someone can meet grade level expectations. Um, It's not really about grades or even course credit. It's about learning. So, um, you know, there are approaches we can take when the gap is really wide. One is a layered approach where we think about what all students will do, what most students will do, and what a few students will do. And what most students will do is the grade level expectation, the learning target that we have for that lesson. But then we think about what are we really trying to teach here? What is it that all students will do relative to this learning target? And and that's where we just get it, though, the fundamental piece. What is this really about? You know, is it really about, you know, knowing all the words, all the phrases, all the conjugations, or is it is it really about communicating with words? So there are some approaches um, that, that we can take to really address that gap, but fundamentally we have to ask first, can the student gain valuable learning? And then what
0: that we need to do to make that happen. I love that. Okay, in Iowa, this kind of goes along with that. We have some SDI guiding principles, and one of them is students receiving special education services are general education students first and always. So in thinking about those beliefs and practices, what is it that we need to make sure we have in place to truly make that happen?
2: Yeah, you know, this um, this sort of a platitude of all students are general education students. It, it sort of falls flat a lot of the time unless we tease out what that means. We tend to want to put kids into categories, into boxes. And it's human nature to want to wanna categorize, put things into, you know, recognize patterns and put things into categories. But the way that we do that in education is really not accurate. The way that we say this student is a general education student because they don't have an IEP, and this student is a special education student um, because they have an IEP, and, and that's just not how the human condition works. They're, you know, It's not like you have needs, and therefore you get an IEP, and you don't have needs, and therefore you don't. It's do you meet a definition? Do you meet a, an almost counterfeit definition in order to fit in the category and get an IEP. So, um, so an example might be uh, two students are having difficulty in the area of reading. One student has dyslexia. And thus their difficulty with reading combined with this diagnosis qualifies them. Um, and even in states where, where there, there is where it's non-categorical, even in sta- you know, even in states where, where there are no clear categories we still draw a line somewhere. Mm-hmm. We still decide, does this kid qualify or does this kid not? So in most states, there are categories, you know, where you, you meet this particular criteria and you're in, or you don't quite meet it. Um, but we still make that, we still make that decision right. um, every day. And it's not like, oh, you know, I don't qualify, therefore I have no needs. Sometimes, and I remember this with my own children. You know, they'd been they'd received such great intervention and intentionally had metacognitive skills so developed that by the time they were in high school, they didn't, really, they didn't really need a lot of support other than some accommodations. But there were kids in their classes who had no IEP, who did not meet whatever definition was put into place, and they had significant needs. So this idea that we're making decisions about intervention or instruction based on whether you have an IEP or not doesn't make sense. Really, none of our instructional or intervention decisions should be based on whether you have an IEP or not. And and so so you're asking what understanding needs to be in place um, in order for us to really get that all students belong to all of us and that all students are general education students. That's it. It's understanding that these dichotomies are false. Whether you're in a protected class that gives you the right to a legal document called an IEP, that's all that is. You have special rights, not special needs. There are other students who have the same or similar needs who, for whatever reason, don't have an IEP. But they should have the exact same, you know, they should be privy to the exact same instruction and intervention decisions, which is, you know, which is MTSS. That's that's what you're, that's mm. what you're, Images showing that specially designed instruction can happen at any tier, um, but the tiers are just really how we make decisions about intensity of intervention.
0: Right, those beliefs are important in understanding. That leads us really into um, the idea that that SDI is delivered by special education and general education teachers, and I'm hearing you say that over and over. It causes some confusion and hesitation with our teachers thinking but I'm not qualified to teach SDI. How would you respond to someone who was feeling like they have an IEP, therefore, I'm not really sure I'm the best person as a general education teacher to? Yeah,
2: yes. Yeah. I mean, that that happens a lot of times. You, you see evidence of this when you see a teacher say, you know, would you take your student? Would you take your student and provide this intervention? It's kind of how we got to the title of your students, my students, <laughs> our students. Mm-hmm. It should be like the hour in all caps, our students. And, you know, I hear special educators feel frustrated about this. You know, why, why is this teacher wanting me to take a student when, you know, I don't have magic hands, I've got information. But we have to understand why that happens. and you know, why might a teacher say, you know, please take your student. And, and it comes down to self-efficacy. It comes down to, I'm going to ask you to do this because you've got expertise. And I clearly don't have that expertise. And, and I don't feel like I could be successful. People often think it's, you know, somebody trying to get out of something. That's not it at all. Is that we all care very deeply for our students. And a teacher who cares very deeply for their student, but is feeling like they can't do it, is asking for help. I mean, that, that's what that comes down to. But the bottom line is, we all, we all have expertise. We all have the ability to implement intervention and uh, specially designed instruction. So it, it's, it's understanding the difference between a service and the actual intervention or implementing an intervention or implementing specially designed instruction. And it is entirely possible that you need a specialist um, to co-design a support, to co-design an intervention. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that a specialist is the one who has to implement that. Sometimes that's the case, Um, but that's not always the case. Uh, I can can remember um, working with young children early in my career, and I was in in a rural school and uh, worked with a number of students who had uh, multiple severe needs and students who had really significant physical needs and required physical therapy. But we were in a rural school, we got a physical therapist like once a month <laughs> to come mm-hmm. in and help us. And so that person spent most of her time assessing and designing the supports, but then showing us how to do it. So she would show us how to position students, how to deliver supports in terms of range of motion exercises. Now, was I qualified to design that? Absolutely not. I am not a physical therapist, but am I a, a perfectly capable, competent adult who can implement what somebody else has designed for me? A hundred percent. So um, this, these students in this school, did they receive services every week? Did they receive physical therapy services from a physical therapist three times a week for 45 minutes no did they receive intervention every single right. day hmm. and throughout the day states have to work out how they handle that and different states have different rules about what counts and you know i hear all of this got to meet the minutes got to meet the minutes <laughs> yep. it sort of wears me out you, you know it's no it's it's really about what does the student need Minus, what do the adults in all the classrooms already have, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like whatever we're, we're asking, what do the adults need as much as what do the student need? So if you've got a student who who maybe has some significant need for support at this time with making transitions, transitions between settings, between activities, whatever, and you've got one teacher, and they have they have dealt with this countless times over 20 years and they've really got it down they've learned strategies from special educators and come up with their own strategies over the years they feel really great about that that student may need a a lot of intervention but because that teacher has got so many skills that student may not need a lot of service Mm -hmm. that adult may not need a lot of service and, and you may have that same student with a teacher who's very nervous about this and kind of has that feeling of please take the student. I don't know what to do. But our job really is to support that adult in knowing what to do, mm-hmm. and especially in, in that case. You can't can't remove a student and work on transition, you know, so and you don't necessarily necessarily need a special educator to do that or a paraprofessional to be by that student every day. What we need to do is build capacity so, so that we all have the skills and we all build in our self-efficacy. So frequency and intensity of services is as much about what adults need as it is about what students need. They're different services and, and intervention or, or special design and structure, you know, the implementation of that, two different things. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that really gets to the essence of that SDI triangle throughout all three tiers of instruction, that it's not always about what the student needs, but what does the adult need so that the student can be successful across their entire day. And if they're only doing it in a separate setting, then the likelihood of transfer Mm -hmm. isn't going to happen. And that's not what we want. We want students to be successful in life, not just in a small setting by themselves. So really considering what the adults Mm -hmm. need so kids can be successful is. And I also like that thinking of it's not because a a Jenna teacher might not want that student. It is self-efficacy that they want all kids to be successful. And if we shift totally. that mindset, that's going to help too our teams of, okay, then what, what do you need to help support the student? Not, uh, totally. mm-hmm.
0: you know, yeah, a, I was thinking, and I was thinking too, all about when we look at that triangle thinking every year for this child, that triangle changes with who the adults are and which building they're in and we talk about middle school, high school, but that's why that team becomes so important in designing that um, yeah. because the situation's different. We can't assume an elementary IEP team can write a middle school IEP. We've got to look back at what's happening all day for them. Yeah. I love that.
2: You know, and just zooming out from that a little bit, you know, it's not, it's not just that we're designing, you know, instruction or intervention for a student you know and then you know then we're implementing it for that student if i as a teacher a classroom teacher am learning about how to support regulation for this particular student and it's on their iep and it's not going to be limited to that student i mean that's not the only student who needs support with regulation right iep or not iep i'm building my skills as a classroom teacher so you know this sort of approach not only benefits the students have ieps but it benefits me as a classroom teacher and every student in this class and and classes forward from now.
0: I think in closing, we have so many important things that we're keeping in mind, but are there um, any other places that you would suggest teachers go to? We have um, talked about your students, my students, our students. Are there any other um, resources, things that you would say if you're thinking about this, all of our students, we're all working together, thinking about that triangle? that you would lead us to get more information?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, staying plugged in with with all of the major um, educational organizations is is a great place to be, being a professional member of of many of the organizations where you can stay in touch with the research. And we also have resources at leadinclusion.org that you might find useful as well.
1: All
0: right. Thank Thank you for your time.
1: Thanks for having me. It was so amazing to listen to her talk about all of these things. Um, what were a few things that you really thought would be good for like teams to think about or people to think about after we listened to Leanne talk about um, what is SDI?
0: Right. The one thing that really stuck out is she was talking about um... Students in that general education setting, and really thinking about instead of focusing so much on the gaps and what they can't do, thinking about our content and what do we need all students to do and learn, and what should most students do or some students do and know and understand, and really thinking about our content instead of trying to separate kids out. Like I, I thought that was that has really got me thinking in my head, um, spinning about conversations. Thinking about what value can they get from being in the classroom and how do we make that happen? Yep. I love that. Yeah,
1: what valuable learning can happen because it's all about the learning. Right. Yep. Well, and also when she talked about um, it's not that Jenna teachers don't want kids, it's that self-efficacy yes. piece. And if we shift that thinking just a little bit and thinking about what supports do adults need so that students can be successful.
0: Right, that helped me frame up Because I think sometimes we think, oh, they're just getting out of work. Like they just don't want to deal with that kid or they don't like that kid. And I think that really helped me step back and think they don't feel confident. And how do we all as experts in our different ways help each other and get on board as a team? So I think that's a great mindset as we step into a meeting where there might be those that are feeling uncomfortable that if we approach it in that way. I think we'll get further.
1: Yeah, totally agree. And build that collective efficacy as a team, which, you know, build my own efficacy, but then as a team, we're problem solving and working together. What, what a huge shift to move our whole school system forward. So I'm going back to my IEP team. What do you think might be some questions that I could bring or some things I might think about as I come back and continue working with that IEP team?
0: Yeah, I think that probably our biggest conversation with our team needs to be thinking about all those times during the day that our students are being asked to do things, that their skills, they might need different support, but then thinking about that. But what is it they must learn from that class, from that unit, from that day? And how do we help them learn that bit? How do they get value out of being there instead of us trying to pass their time and keep them compliant like I just think that changes the whole conversation to a really valuable one for the student and get them learning all day long not just in the room part sort of participating maybe passively I think if the team looks at it like that and maybe really pumping up the general education teachers as being super active and and um, we're going to get into that more in our part two but How do we really include that whole team in the conversation?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us.